Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 294. This week on Cars Yeah, we're celebrating the Forest Grove Concord Elegance and talking with sponsors and participants of this spectacular event. It takes place on July 19th on the Pacific University campus east of Portland, Oregon. You can learn more about this event at www.forestgrove.org. Authenticity. Buy real things and work with real people. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Peter Hageman. Peter, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Let's roll. Let's roll. Peter Hageman is the chief judge for the Forest Grove Concours d'Elegance. He inherited his love of vintage cars from his father, acquiring his first car, a 1927 Packard, when he was just 13 years old. He's been a regional chairman of the Bentley's Drivers Club and a judge at numerous Concours events around the world. Peter was on the forefront of the now popular preservation class concept in automotive collecting, and he serves on the selection committee and is the chief class judge in the preservation class at the Pebble Beach Concours d'Elegance. He is one of the founders of the Kirkland Concours. He sits on the advisory committee at the LeMay Museum. He attends events all over the globe, including concours, rallies, and tours. And his son, Paul, has been a past guest here on Cars Yeah. Peter, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. If you take a moment and share a little bit more about your passion for automobiles. You and I have been friends for, oh gosh, it must be 20 years now, but share a little bit with the audience here of how you got involved with cars and, and what they mean to you. Well, you know, it's been a, uh, it's, I'm uh, second generation and my son Paul's third generation. My dad, who was, had grown up in the Dutch East Indies, and his father had interesting cars, of course, but they were transportation. But my father, when he immigrated to the United States in 1956, had a love for some of the cars that he knew as a young man, and one of his favorite marks at the time was Packard. And he had a 1928 Packard Phaeton that he ended up buying, which we used to go on vacation with. And, uh, you know, it was an antique car then, and we loved it. We ended up going to car shows locally, not so much for competitive things, because my dad wasn't into that, but just to see other automobiles. In 1962, we ended up going to the Concord Elegance and Mercer Island, which was my first kind of stepped into that world and, and uh, you know, just having the old 28 Packard and, you know, being the grunt and uh, handing the tools to Dad over the years just kind of cemented. Couldn't have gone any other way. It's a great memory for me, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've participated in so many events throughout your life. I met you when I first moved up here to the Pacific Northwest, and you were very helpful and grateful to introduce me to the car hobby up here, which I had no idea how intense it was and how many people were up here. You've attended so many rallies and tours. Can you just walk through maybe quickly some of the many events that you've participated in? Well, we've done some great stuff over the years. And, you know, it used to be back when we were younger and I had a, a 356 Porsche, and I, which I bought for $1,300, a little cab, and it had some rusty holes, which had bundled by a little bondo of fiberglass, and we do little rallies and stuff back in the 70s. But later in life, I ended up getting involved in, in, in bigger events and I've done the Colorado Grand, which is a thousand miles with, uh, 
with uh, sports cars between before 1960, and you get to run the cars as they were intended to be at high speeds in the mountains, which is pretty cool. But then great events. I've done the London to Brighton. I uh, did it one year with uh, my buddy Glenn Munger, and uh, we did it in a, a 1903 uh, Murray motor car. And, uh, you know, it's great. Wow. So it all through the vintage Bentley tours. Uh, this year we're doing the uh, Pell Beach Motoring Classic Tour down the coast. So, I don't know. Yeah, cars and cars, people. It's it's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Oh, it's fantastic. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for some type of a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that has a meaning for you. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars. Yeah. So, Peter, take the wheel. Quite simply, I you know I think about a quote, not that I've heard, but it's more of a, a mantra of of how one should approach things in my mind. And if I were to say one thing, I'd say, deal with things and people you like. And I've had that luxury. It's, I have to like what I'm doing, and I have to like the people that I work with. And it's, uh, it's a luxury, and uh, it's not always, you know, there's easier ways sometimes to make money, and, and sometimes you make easier money on bad cars or uh, deal with people that are less than great. But I think that to keep it pure and to keep it on a high road, that you deal with things and people that you respect and like. Absolutely. It's one thing I've heard from many, many guests here on Cars Yeah, and you're my 294th guest in the last 12 months, is it's, oh, the, it's the people. It's the people in the hobby that really make it fun and interesting because it's such a nice group of people. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. And, and what's interesting about that is that most of the people, there is a sort of success level at, at you know when you're having these hobby cars, but it's at all levels, and whether you're driving, a, you know, your best car is, a, you know, a, a Miata, or whether it's a Duesenberg, it really doesn't matter. It's just that the inspiration of the people that are doing something outside of themselves in a hobby that I think gets shared by a lot of people. So yeah, I think uh, I think it's very positive. It's great. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? You talk about growing up with your dad, and oh my gosh, what a wonderful opportunity to drive around in that old Packard that he had. But is there a pivotal moment, as you remember it, when you really realized and you looked at yourself and said, you know what, I am a car guy? Yeah, I think so. I think the tours in 1928 Packard were like that. I mean, I remember we we used to take it to Chelan every year. And in those days, actually more so than today, you'd stop at a gas station and and people ask, you know, they got really excited about seeing a vintage automobile. And, you know, we just spent time with Dad and even working on it. I remember it, it blew out one of the uh, freeze plugs out of the head of it. And, you know, and, and you know, we were stuck on the side of the road. And, and uh, I used to, I had to go down to the creek to try to bring water up and stuff. And Dad had taken an old Benjamin Franklin half dollar and filed it and filed it and popped it back in there. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, made, made it you know, made it to where we had to do it. But you know what? It was just kind of me and my dad in the car at the time. And, uh, yeah, it got a very special place. And, you know, the um, the oil got in the blood. And, you know, that's the way it is. <laughs> that's just, the, uh, that is the way it is. And you're, you definitely have oil running through your veins. I'd, lo- I'd love to take a look under the hood. You talk about crawling under that Packard and filing down that Benjamin. Uh, it's just an incredible story. But, I'd love to get under the hood and talk about some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a huge challenge or some kind of a, maybe even a failure or something along the way. It could be in many of your adventures with cars, could be in a career, but the most important part of this has to do with 
How did you overcome that situation? And even more important, what did it teach you? What did you learn from it? Well, the funny thing is in business, and in business with the hobby, and, you know, I've been an antique dealer for more than 30 years, and I found that not only going back to saying working with people and things you like, you know, make the decisions that, you know, a good friend of mine once told me years ago, he said, if you work with good people and good things, all those things build up. And at a certain point, all those things you're having to push and drag, at a certain point, starts lifting you and taking you down the road, whether it be, you know, whether it be the decisions you made or the quality of the people you've dealt with, the quality of goods you dealt with. You know, um, you know I, I think if I were thinking of one of the challenges I had, you know, trying to raise a family at the antique business and stuff, and it was hard for many, many years, and, and you rented a building, and I, I probably would have said the smartest thing I should have done then at the time was to buy a building, and because, you know, that will help take care of us at an older age. You're right. But, you know, it's just, yeah, I, it's, a, it's an interesting question for me, the challenges, because, you know, I think I've been a blessed person, and, um, and um, a lot of the ugly things in, in life haven't gotten in the way, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very happy about that, you know, knock on wood. But, well, yeah. I think uh, it goes back to your comment earlier, if you surround yourself with those things you love and the people you admire and respect, you can avoid a lot of those pitfalls in life. So I think that sounds like it's worked well for you. For most of us, looking back at things we should have invested in or bought, uh, you, you almost can't look back. you got to keep looking forward like going down the road in that old car um, because uh, you drive yourself crazy. Let's shift gears yeah. here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I typically ask at this point in our talk, I ask my guests for one of those career aha moments. It's what I say when it a time when the headlights come on and illuminate your way for a new idea or new direction. I'd love to delve into a little bit of this idea of preservation class because years ago, you were one of the guys that really started pushing this before it was really thought of being popular. People were buying cars, over-restoring cars. We heard that time and time again, specifically at events like Pebble Beach. But maybe you could talk a little bit about your ha-ha moment concept of what preservation meant and and how you saw what was coming down the road as far as how important that is to the automotive hobby. Well, you know, the funny thing, the background is being an antique dealer and, um, you know, having grown up with antiques with my father, we started to get a respect for patina, the feeling, the aura of all these objects. And if you go in to a, go to a car show and you end up looking at two identical cars and one just got pulled out of the barn and one got totally restored you start realizing that most of the people and most of the energy, and that's a, a very, very important word in all this, two things, energy and authenticity. And you see the energy coming out of that old car that's been sitting there forever uh, compared to the car that has every visible surface replaced. We're talking the glass. We're talking the varnish on the wood. We're talking the paint, the chrome, the tires, every visible surface that you're looking at was not there in 1930 or 1935 or 1924 or whatever the date may be. So the point is, we, 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 it becomes sort of a slightly dishonest object. That's a big statement I'm making there. But the point is, I think that my love of the, of the original cars has to do with the energy and the patina and the glow that something that's been taken care of or loved exudes after so many years of use years of use. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And and is there, let me ask you this, is there a difference in your mind between a neglected car that was just 
put in an old crummy barn versus a preservation class car that has been loved and cared for? How do you differentiate those two points? That's a really very good question. It's a question we get asked a lot at Pebble Beach. You know, um, we have a lot of cars come in the selection and they say, you know, what is it that makes you pick our car or not our car for the car for the lawn? Or they'll say, what lets a car win and which doesn't let a car win? And yes, it's a, it's a fine line. And yes, the word barn find is often neglect, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the neglect, uh, the neglected car tells a story too, you know. They become historical documents, and even the neglected car will, will talk to us. Yes. It may not inspire us like a car that's been well-loved and well-cared, but part of caring and loving for a car is a maintenance. Yes. And if you scratch the fenders, you repaint the fenders. If you tear the leather, you reupholster the leather. So I think the most optimum thing you see is a car that's been used, has a little, the chrome gets a little soft, the leather gets a little sheen to it, uh, you know, it looks like it's loved and used, and, and, and we all know what it's like, the difference between a car that's never been taken apart and a car that's been restored. They're just never the same. So it's, it's a complicated answer, and I can't do a quick one on that one, Mark, but I honestly think that it, it, it takes a different kind of person to understand preservation. I've seen a lot of guys say, I like preservation, but they really can't live with it, you know? <laughs> yes. And, yeah, because, and I know a lot of guys, I mean, I know you used to work for a company that was, you know, all based on, on shiny and perfect and everything else. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a different, and I always think there's kind of a two kinds of people in the world, and I call them hard luggage and soft luggage people. <laughs> and you get the guy who's got the hard luggage, and it's got a spot where the socks and this, and gets folded in the corner. And then you get the other guys who've got kind of the duffel bag stuff, yeah. and he puts his stuff in. But he's also the guy who's not the chrome and glass guy, he's the guy that likes the the Labrador, the old leather seats, you know, he likes cotton, he likes wool, you know, he doesn't like, uh, you know, it, it's a, and I think it has something to do, and I'll even go a little further than this, uh-huh. and I'll get in trouble for this one, <laughs> is it'll go a little further than this, it's, it's a little bit of self-confidence. I think a lot of people that demand the perfection, that there's a little bit of insecurity. I know a lot of people could not live with a preservation car because it just, irritates them it just bugs them and that's okay that's who you are who you are and you're in the skin that you're in yeah but i think it takes a bit of courage to live with a preservation car it can be very frustrating because we think these cars all should be used i had a wonderful 120 jag with thirteen thousand miles on it that we had and and uh, some guy comes in and and puts his knee down on the seat because he wants to grab something a sign out of it you know, and rips the leather and stuff and not knowing how to go around it and how to do it. But I think the bottom line is if we talk about preservation, we need to make decisions that are good for the automobile as opposed to what we want for ourselves. Because a lot of ego is bound into these cars. And a guy, you know, you know, having a little dent or having a little this or a little tear, a lot of people don't have, they feel, well, it reflects on me, so I got to get it repaired. So it's it's it takes a bit of self confidence, or I don't know how to say it, but it's 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 a different attitude. And if you're a hard luggage guy, you're not going to like to drive around in a stuffy old thing with, uh, you know, with um, little horse hair flying out <laughs> while you're motoring down the road. You know? You've said it very eloquently, my friend. And I, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about it because. I want to be a preservation guy, and it's really hard for me to be a preservation guy. 
I think you've helped me along the way a little bit today for a better appreciation and to maybe think differently about that hard luggage and soft luggage. You did it really well. Awesome. How about proudest career business moments or moments in the hobby? I'm sure you've had many. You've been around so long doing so many things with cars. But is there one in particular that stands out for you you would share with us? Well, there's there's a great story. And and there's a great story about the Blue Train Bentley. Uh, The Blue Train Bentley was always known as a Speed 6 coupe that uh, Captain Wolfernado, the then chairman of Bentley Motors, had a bet with a buddy either in the south of France that he could beat the train bleu, the big express train from south of France to the north of France, uh, with his Bentley. And they made a bet, and um, Wolf Renato won it. But the car that he used when he wrote his books was a Speed 6, and it turned out that the famous Speed 6 Bentley, the blue train, which sought to be sold at the time as the blue train Bentley, turned out to be not the car that he used. It's a very correct car. It's a very exciting car. It's a very correct original car. And it did also belong to the captain, Wolf Bernardo, the chairman. Uh-huh. But it was not the car he used for that run. Mm. And we found that out at a certain point doing uh, research on the car that with the, uh, at the time, uh, uh, Michael Hay did, uh, did the research on it and found out that indeed the car was delivered after that event, ah. and it wasn't the car that was used. So, and then to find that out, and then to help to try to buy the other car that had done it, which had already lost its body, and we found the original body. So it was kind of an exciting thing to put all these things together, and nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew except uh, the owner, myself, and the historian that had helped find out the discovery. And what we wanted to do, and uh, we were not going to announce it until both the cars, the original car that had run against the Blue Train Speed 6 Bentley and the famous, very handsome Gurney 9 Coupe that uh, was always thought to be the car, were put on the lawn at Pebble Beach together. Nice. And then the story was unveiled. So that was kind of an aha moment. But as far as my personal sense of of, of, of having putting, uh, putting the original bodies back on Vintage Bentleys, which we've done and stuff, I got to think is uh, for my businesses when uh, my son decided he wanted to come back and work with his dad in in the business. And and, uh, I think that's precious. Yeah. Yeah. And your son, Paul's been a guest on this show. I've watched Paul. He's pretty close to my son's age. So we've both been at all these events and we've watched our kids grow up together. And Paul did a great job on the show. He's having an exciting time uh, in the automotive field as too, following along in your footsteps. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And if you could share a memory you have with that vehicle. Well, you know, this, my first special car was 13. It was a 1927 Packard. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, I would take it out and drive it when I wasn't supposed to. But, you know, it was that I'd try to repair it. And, you know, I got some spray can to do this and that. So it was frustrating, actually. It was frustrating, but important car to have for myself. But I wasn't equipped age-wise, knowledge-wise, money-wise to deal with the car yeah. at that age. Yeah. But yeah. it was, you know, it was something I, I, I was very proud of owning it. And okay. I don't know where that car is today. I mean, it was a, it was a sedan. It was not an important car. It was a six-cylinder sedan with two side mounts, 1927. It's out there somewhere in the United States, and I wouldn't mind finding it back. <laughs> yeah. Well, any listeners out there that have a car like that, maybe... Uh, contact Peter. You might have his old car. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> be uh, neat. What is a funny story about that, and I think more of an interesting story, is I had, when I was going to high school, I went to Redmond High School here in the Northwest, Mark, uh-huh. 
after I'd had that, uh, when I was in high school, I had an MGTD that I bought from my neighbor. Nice. And the MGTD was a cute little car. It was British Racing Green. Uh, but it had one little thing that I kind of didn't want anybody to know. It had a Chevy Nova engine in it with a little automatic. <laughs> which made it really, really fast. Yeah. And uh, I would always drive it around. I'd never have the top up because I had a tonneau cover I'd zip up after. And I always had the windshield flat. So I'm in high school and I'm driving this car. And, uh, you know, once I left high school, went to go to college, I stole the car. Yeah. So two years ago, I ended up going to the All-British Field Meet. And uh, there was a friend of mine, Barry Burrisman, who was selling some MG parts. And he's kind of an MG guru. Yeah. And he's got this mimeographed or photocopied uh, a piece of paper of this old MG on the table. And uh, and it was looked like kind of a junky car. And I said, this doesn't look like you, Barry. And he says, yeah, some guy wants to sell this, but there's no bulletin board. He has to be laying on my table. And he said, "It's you wouldn't want it. It's a morphodite. It's got a Chevy motor in it. <laughs> and I go, oh, my gosh. So I, he telephones me that I call the guy, and he says, yeah, it's got a Chevy motor on it, this and this, and I've had it for years, uh, but it needs to be restored, and I'm asking, you know, at the time, five grand for it or something. Yeah. And I said, well, I, I'd love to come see it. The guy lives in Shoreline. And that afternoon, and I still had paperwork, paperwork on oh, that car. Wow. I knew the number, so I go over there and I look at this car, and it's a different color. It's white, looks pretty shabby, and I do, the transmission housing stuff was modified for a different shift lever. And I said, "This is not my car," and I checked the numbers, and indeed was my car. I ended up buying the car, <laughs> and it's now in, my, in a garage. And I bought another MGTD donor car, and I'll put original motor in it and stuff, and I'll put this back together. But it's one of those things like I really don't want an MGTD in my life anymore. But you can't not because it was my high school car. Yeah. Oh, what an awesome story. You know, my dad, when yeah. I was a little, little boy, had an MGTC. And years later, after I'd grown up and moved away and have a family of my own, he bought a TD. And it has the same kind of motor in it uh, because it's yeah. just so much easier to drive. But he said, yeah, I yeah. never want to open up the bonnet because I don't want people to know what's under the hood. But but it does make exactly. the car better to drive for sure. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I'm going to get rid of that motor. You know, anybody wants to Chevy Nova motor, they can have it. They can come and get it. Just bring your truck. (laughs) That's great. Now, you've bought and sold so many cars throughout your life, but I always ask this question. If there's one car you could have back and keep that you've let go and have back in your garage, what would that vehicle be? Well, I've had some fun stuff. I have had some great stuff. Probably the one is I had a... um, you know, with raising children and stuff, I um, I had a wonderful three liter Bentley, which was a um, 1927 Super Sport. Mm. You know, one of 15 cars made and one of only two with the original body. Wow. Probably the best three liter Bentley in the world at the time. And I was doing the Colorado Grand in it um, with my friend Al McEwen at a certain point, and, and Miles Collier was driving a Packard behind me, and he saw that car on the road. And it's really a rather striking, beautiful car. And then. He approached me if I wanted to sell the car, and the answer was no. And then, you know, he, I had to think about it, and he he, um, he talked me out of it, and the car went to the Collier Collection. But it's, uh, yeah. it's an important, uh, another important piece of motoring history, that car. So, yeah. And it's got the home because Miles is the consummate collector who both understands and treats his, uh, his machinery properly. So sure. kind of like the mecca for a good car, I think, yeah. I usually ask people about current projects that excite them right now, but I'd love for you to just talk briefly a little bit about the upcoming Forest Grove Concorde Elegance because I'm a sponsor this year. I've got involved this whole week have been people 
on Cars Yeah that are involved, that are vendors. You're the chief judge there. Can you talk a little bit to our audience about that event? Well, the Forest Grove is, is I think, just one of the greatest Northwest events. You know, we've seen we've seen events go, come and go. We've seen, uh, you know, uh, management change. We've seen everything else. But Forest Grove has always been a very steady, very nice quality, uh, nice atmosphere car event. It's got everything from really world-class Pebble Beach quality cars to uh, some good cars. I mean, just good, honest, uh, you know, little sports cars and this and that. So there's, and the environment's nice. It's at the college campus there. Uh, it's good people with good cars. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's it's a, a very much an event to go uh, to, and it's been I think kind of the it's kind of become the granddaddy of the Northwest of of serious car events. Sure, absolutely, and uh, I'll look forward to seeing you down there uh, this coming Sunday when this show airs. We'll have a lot of fun and get to. I've not been able to attend the event yet. I'm always doing something this time of year, and this time I'm going to drive down and, and attend. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Peter. I love this question. If you were a car, what kind of car would Peter be and why? I'd probably be, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a funny question, but I'd probably be a vintage Bentley. I kind of um, thought so. <laughs> well, you know, and, I, and that's funny, because I remember when I was a kid, I, I the little um, uh, Leslie model of the vintage Bentley, it was sort of, it was stout, which I am. It's heroic, which I'm not. But it's and it's fairly simple but reliable. Uh, it's slight and it's slightly noble. I don't know. It's just it's kind of like what I'd want to be, whether I'm that or not. It's kind of like uh, people say uh, you want to be the person your dog thinks you are. <laughs> yes. And I yeah, and I kind of think uh, I'd want to be if I want to be the car. I'd want to be a finish family. Yeah, I I can see you as that, having known you for all these years and. Uh enjoyed many, many cars events and been around a lot of cars with you. I think that's a perfect answer. So Peter, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Okay, Peter, we're back and we're entering the last lap, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Go ahead. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Buy the best. Buy the best, yes. I had uh, Bruce Meyer on this show, and his words were, buy the best, cry only once. <laughs> so yeah. it makes a world yeah, of yeah. sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? I think uh, I think finding a car that has integrity. I'm not talking about that it has to be shiny or the chrome is beautiful, that it's 
a basically honest car. That it's, it is what it's supposed to be. It's fun and foundation is solid by the quality. But by the quality that you can afford. So if you can't afford, you know, if you can't afford a Duesenberg, buy the best Sprite you can afford or, you know, buy the right. best Miata you can afford. Just buy, buy quality because it will be so much cheaper in the end. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Is there one resource in particular you think the Car Show listeners would really enjoy? Yeah, you know, I, I, I thought about that question, uh, and I, I think, you know, the Internet has done a lot for us in, in finding our parts and stuff, and, and as far as vintage Bentleys, I used to have, I have a good library and stuff, but there's a, there's a website that Bob McClellan's put together, vintagebentleys.org, which is really good and lists every car by chassis with all the notes on it, taken over the years. It's been a tireless effort. I think that's a really good re- resource at that level. Yeah. Awesome. Great. And how about a book? If there's one book in particular you think the Car Show listeners would enjoy reading, what would that book be? Well, I, I'll change that a little bit. The book that I think was inspirational to me is, uh, it was written in the 50s. It was uh, my father's book. It was Kings of the Road by Ralph Purdy. And it talked about automobiles in the 50s and how some of the big American tanks compared to little MGs and and Mercedes and Hispanos. It talked about the greatness, and it kind of got it at the time, and I, I thought it was inspirational. I remember it talks, one chapter said something about, you know, you're doing, you have, own an automobile, which you do an honest 100 miles an hour. Not just on the speedometer, but an honest 100 miles an hour, and you're driving down the road, and you see parked off this side a large, low, white automobile, and you go by at 100 miles an hour, and within a mile and a half, it goes screaming by you, and it's a Mercedes SSK, and the comedy says, gentlemen, this is acceleration. So, yeah, <laughs> cool, cool book. Cool book. Great. Sounds like a great book. That's the first time that book's been recommended here. And I'll let our listeners know you can find a great area on the Cars yeah website called Guest Recommended Books. This book and all the guest recommended books here on Cars yeah can be found there. And you can find all these great resources Peter shared at carsyeah.com slash Peter Hageman. Peter's last name is H-A-G-E-M-A-N. All right, Peter, we're up to the checkered flag. This is always a tough question for a guy, especially like you. Maybe not, but as I like to call it a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with, so that little trick's off the table. But don't worry about the cost, because today I'm writing the check. What would that one vehicle be and why? The car I would most like to own is owned today in the Chip Connors collection, one of the best collections in the United States or in the world, actually. And it's an HC2300 Alpha touring body car, and it's the Romaldi Alpha. It has its original luggage with it, its original leather. It's an awesome machine. Eight-cylinder Alphas are the greatest pre-war automobile, period. Yeah, uh, what a great choice. Awesome car, of course. I knew you'd pick something very, very special, and you certainly have. And Oh, I'm going to have to write a big, big, big check for that to get that out of Chip's hands. But uh, great choice, my friend. I loved it. Peter, you've taken me on a great ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed talking with you. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the Cars Yow listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Alpha 8C2300? Authenticity. Buy real things and work with real people. Well, I think that's great. And listeners, you can find, again, links to everything we've talked about here today at carsyad.com. Just put Peter in the search box, and his show notes page will pop up. 
And to learn more about the Forest Grove Concord Elegance, just go to www.forestgrove.org. Or, better yet, meet up with Peter and myself at the Forest Grove Concord on Sunday, and we'll be there walking amongst the great cars. Peter, thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and, and for sharing your experiences with our listeners. I'm glad we were finally able to connect. Until we talk again, I'll see you at the Forest Grove Concord. Thanks so much, Mark, and and hope to talk to some of the listeners, too. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!